I guess if you renounce your dirty Catholic ways, you can sit down at the supper table and have some delicious soup. Well, here we are, boys and girls. Thank you so much for your patience. It's been a while, been a couple of weeks since I've been able to get over here and do some podcasting on the Real Quick Pod. Been pretty busy with LSG Media lately, doing uh, our Harlow Falls bonus commentary stuff. Not commentary, but our our Harlow Falls bonus stuff, our commentary stuff. Been doing a lot of bonus stuff for the members over at LSG Media and, of course, keeping things going with the science fiction film podcast. And I had to take a little week off of this. So I'm finally back. And I'm back in black because we're doing Black 47, which is a movie I wanted to do um, after seeing the preview for it. It was brought to my attention by Daniel Fouch. I had seen the preview before he reached out to me, but he reached out to me. So we kind of had this like simpatico thing going on. And I was like, you know what? You are right. I think I am going to cover this movie. So I'm definitely pumped to be talking about this flick. Um, so as you know, based on what I was thinking of the preview, it you know, Irish Braveheart, things of this nature, I was looking forward to what this was going to be about and uh, what it was going to get into and things of this nature. Now, I did just watch it, and I have to say, coming out of the gates, I definitely dug this movie, but it's a much more surface-level, uh, almost a melodramatic action in that it is, uh, it's really attempting to just hit you in the in the justice feels, right? It's trying to hit you up. It's trying to make you feel something for the downtrodden so they can rise up and fight against their oppressors, things of this nature. And it doesn't get much deeper than that, which is fine. You know, it's kind of a, a an action film. It's short. It's only about 90 some odd minutes. And it's, a, it's an action film that does carry some weight to it, which is kind of neat. So that's something I like about it. And, uh, you know, Black 47, so named after the Great Famine, which for you history buffs um, should know as the Great Famine that happened in Ireland between 1845 and 1849. It was a four-year famine, I guess, uh, with uh, the year of 1847 considering considered largely by most historians to be the worst part of it, which is why this particular film is called Black 47, because in 1847... That was the worst times of the Great Famine. And uh, during the famine, about a million people died and a million more left Ireland, um, which is insane, man. Uh, Think about that. A couple million people from a relatively small country, um, a million deaths. That is, uh, that's serious death in 1845. Uh, that's a lot of people. That's almost a whole generation of people. But there's a lot, obviously, a lot of history about the Great Famine. Not a history person, by the way. Not a history expert, so drink. But um, yeah, it was uh, this and the Napoleonic Wars uh, during that time were the greatest loss of life in the 19th century Europe, which is bananas to think about. Um, war and, of course, starvation, famine, always bad news. And uh, there's a lot of uh, talks of causes of this and things of that nature. But on top of it, you have a really challenging political landscape, which involves this uh, these this battle between the English and the Irish, which is a good old battle that goes way back 
uh, goes way back to something called the Troubles. So way before this ever happened, they were at each other's throats. Um, there's articles on it. It goes back to the 1600s all through um, all the beefing in Nor- Northern Ireland with the IRA into the mid-90s, late-90s. And um, that sectarian violence that we love so much, which of course is the uh, the Protestants and the Catholics, right? That old hat, that old battle. You know, I'll tell you, this is something listeners may not know about me, but that was always something, you know, it's funny because I I, <laughs> I dog on what people call social, social justice. You know, there's there has to be injustice for there to be justice. And a lot of times people just invent injustice. But, um, you know, sectarian violence, literal oppression, murder in the streets, starvation, incarceration, these things are... Uh, these are real, real struggles, not, hey, you can't have dreadlocks. That, to me, is not really a not really a social injustice as far as I'm concerned. But um, what the hell do I know? But this kind of shit, these, uh, these guerrilla war fights, these bombings, these fightings, these, you know, blood in the streets kind of conflicts go back a long ways between Ireland and England, uh, and of course, between Catholic and Protestant. And uh, there's a lot of information about it. I'm not going to do any justice uh, any justice, uh, because this is not a history podcast, but it was something that I had a real passing interest in. And, and I think back upon this time in my life where I, uh, you know, I had an Irish flag in my room and all this shit because I liked you too. And I, uh, I was in love with films like Braveheart and Michael Collins. And I loved this. I loved this battling the oppressor's feeling. I've always liked that uh, resistance fighter thing. And I still do uh, well into my adult life, but you know, I don't have this blind hatred <laughs> for something that I'm not even part of anyway, but I always thought about it, you know, I've all, it's always been in my mind and I always thought about it in very black and white terms. And I've always been interested in learning about this struggle from a, from a more objective seat, a seat that is uh, trying to understand how it goes back and the religious ties to it and all that stuff. So any of the surface level shit I ever thought of was just that. I never really looked at these conflicts or the troubles as they're known. I never quite looked at the troubles uh, with an objective eye or a critical eye or or even deeply, to be perfectly frank. So that's something, uh, you know, I got this Wikipedia, I got a few Wikipedia articles in front of me and not that that's really, in a, that's not really a, a history. That's not a comprehensive history of anything, but it's a start. It's a start into our, our internet rabbit hole, which links to many, many articles and books. So uh, I am... I I, ha- I will say my interest in these in the troubles has been rekindled as a result of watching Black Forty Seven. Um, even though this is a fictional tale, it is uh, it is set in a uh, historical period, which is something that I am fond of. Uh, I've said that on this podcast before, and that's I like watching things take place adjacent to historical events. One of the things I liked about Atomic Blonde, which we talk about on the science fiction film podcast, is that we have the the Berlin Wall coming to its end amidst this spy thriller taking place around it. I like stuff like that. And uh, that's one of the things I like about this movie, Black 47. We have uh, the, the worst parts of the uh, potato famine. And it is, um, this tale is set against it. So it makes for a very dramatic setting. It makes for a very dramatic time period for these things to uh, occur, which is awesome. So look, there's plenty to like about this movie. 
and uh, and I'll start there. There's there's some things I don't love about it, but for the most part, um, I I will focus on what I like and what I don't like. I did just want to kind of give you that historical stuff first, though, before I ramble on for another twenty minutes or so. But so so Black Forty Seven. If you haven't seen it, it is rentable. It it did just come out in September, and it does have a pretty decent cast for a movie that I don't believe was in any type of, um, I don't think it was any in, in, in any type of theater. It's of course, uh, Lance Daly or Dolly. I don't know how to say his name. He directed it and, um, he's done a few. He's done, uh, Black 47, Life's a Breeze, A Good Doctor, Kisses, The Halo Effect, Last Days in Dublin, Dublin. And, uh, he's, uh, must be, must be an Irishman. He must like his, uh, his Irish thing. Let's see. Where is he born? Don't know anything about him. IMDb tells me nothing about this man. But back to the cast, right? So here we go. We got Hugo Weaving, who is top billing. He plays Hannah. We have James Freshville, who plays Feeney. Stephen Ray is uh, a man named Connolly. Freddie Fox is Pope. Barry Coegan is Hobson. And then we have uh, Fitzgibbon and a few others in here. But um, yeah, this this is... You know, I'm I'm reminded of um, what is that um, Brad Pitt Irish film, The Devil's Zone or something? I think it's called The Devil's Zone, right? Um, where he's, you know, this is another one of those movies I loved at the time, The Devil's Zone. It was at the height of this this IRA stuff, right? And um, yeah, Devil's Zone, Brad Pitt, Harrison Ford. But um, I, I, there's a there's a line in that movie which isn't a particularly great movie. But there's a line in that movie where Brad Pitt's character um, Tom O'Meara, no no no, Rory Devaney, <laughs> sorry Rory Devaney, says he says something along the lines of "This is not an American tale; it's an Irish tale," meaning it's it never ends well. It's always going to be a dramatic and sad ending. This is not an American tale. It's an it's an Irish tale. I think he says something something like this, and um, and that's that's always stuck with me. And I've always thought of that. And I don't know if it's really true, but you almost feel like it is every time you watch a movie about this uh, oppression of the Irish people, the Catholics to the Protestants, etc. You always feel that way. And this movie really, really ratchets up the the misery. Um, right, it starts off with this man Hannah, who is in the employ of these uh, English people, and we know he's Irish. We know he's served with Feeney, but the long and short of this film is is really plot wise. There's not much going on here. I will say that pretty confidently. You have Feeney, who is an an Irishman who was uh, in a tour in Afghanistan, which is interesting. Because in 1847, I had no idea what Ireland was doing in Afghanistan. So that's something I'm looking forward to reading about after I do this podcast. But he's come home. Apparently, he's deserted. And he comes home amidst the famine. So likely, when he left, there wasn't one. And now he's back, and he just sees the ruin of his home. And, you know, he's a very stern, red-bearded man. He's a man of very few words. And... um he, he comes home and he sees things are bad and there's signs that say things like thieves will be punished, etc. And of course, it starts off with Feeney going home to find his brother and his brother has been killed. He's been hanged, I guess. His mom died, some sort of fever, I guess. So now he's hanging out with his brother's sister uh, and this doesn't go well. You know, they have a little family. They can't make their payments. 
Things get ugly. They have to knock down the roof. Feeney gets arrested while trying to intervene. And, and it's, it is, it's one of these movies. It's one of these, the, the staunch authoritarians um, are very bad. All of the bad guys in this film are, are quite bad. And all of the good guys are quite good. There's not a ton of plot turns in the movie at all. Um, at least none that are not wildly predictable. Hannah, this Irish guy who works at the English, you know, he's not gonna, you know, he's not gonna go after Feeney with any type of passion. He's just doing it so he doesn't get executed because he killed a prisoner earlier in the movie. Blah, blah, blah. It's tough to keep track of all this. But essentially you have a bunch of British people looking for Feeney. He's a ro he's an Irish renegade, and he's going through the land. Um, getting revenge for essentially the the harm that's been done upon his family, the injustices that's been done upon his family, and uh, he's he's telling everyone he meets along the way that he's going to America initially, but then when things get ugly, he decides he's going to turn his sights against those who have caused him injustice. And what you have after that is essentially like the Irish Mike Myers popping out of nowhere and um, slaying people, but instead of a piano. They play fiddle music, and it works out nicely. And that's essentially a movie. It is uh, a man on a mission, and a man on a mission that you're not sure how it's going to make out, but right about the, I mean, it's only 90 minutes, but right at about the 20-minute 20, 20 mark, 19, 20-minute mark, he loses whatever family he had left post-war, which is sister-in-law, niece, nieces and nephews. They kind of all get killed, basically. And then the mom freezes to death because they pull the roof off and he finds her later after he escapes from the bad guys. And then he just starts slowly going down the line. He goes after the landlord. He goes after this guy. He goes after a lord. He goes after another guy. And, and it's pretty much schlock action from there on out. And that's not to say it's not good. It's, it's, it's fun to watch. I think that... Um, that the that the character of Feeney, that that tight jawed, I don't want to say it. That that tight jawed, no nonsense guy is played really well by uh, James uh, Freshville. I think is how you say it, or Freshville. I, I'm not sure. Um, he's been in in a few movies. Uh, he was in Black Forty Seven. He's got two movies in post production. Uh, one called The Seven Sorrows of Mary. He's on a TV show called Requiem plays Nick Dean. I don't know anything about that. Um, he played in a movie called Highly Functional, IT, Homebodies, Almost Scott, Scout, About Scott. Jesus, About Scout. <laughs> Fuck. The Stanford Prison Experiment. Oh, no shit. I did actually watch that. Uh, the Drop. Oh, cool. He's in The Drop. That's neat. I must have not remembered him. He plays Fitz in The Drop, which is uh, Tom Hardy uh, and, of course, the late great... James Gandolfini. So yeah, he's uh, he's done quite a bit of acting. I'll tell you, he looked the part. When you see him, you think, I believe him, right? That's always a thing. I believe that this guy is capable of visiting violence upon people. He has the the, the very expressionless, emotionless look about him, the the red beard, the the wide face. Big he's a big strapping fellow. You get the impression that he can do some damage. And then the other characters kind of get pulled into it. So, so Feeney's on the loose and all these guys are after him. And this is fun. You know, there's something simple about a movie like this. This movie stays in its lane. It doesn't try to do anything too big. But what, 
But what I think the movie probably could have benefited from was maybe some more, maybe some more character beats. There's really nothing to these characters. They're kind of, they're kind of paper thin. The plot's kind of paper thin. I mean, it's, that's not to say it's bad. It's very simple, right? Sometimes it's good and you just need three chords and the truth, right? You don't need it to be too overly complex, but it's almost, it borders on caricature at times, right? The, this, the hard Irish rebel and the fancy British dudes and their red coats and their fucking tea and shit. And they're all, you, you get the impression most of these British lads are very soft and, uh, you know, effeminate, very well-shaven men, very pretty men. <laughs> chasing, chasing a rugged Irishman who's, uh, whose family's been starved out by the winter. And uh, that's, that's what you got here. There's no, uh, there's no subtlety, unfortunately, in the movie. And I think it could have benefited from that. I think, I think it, it, it would have benefited from something a little more like that. Like, Freddie Fox plays Pope, who's a character that I was actually interested in. He is this young British officer who gets tasked with finding Feeney. And he takes Hannah, played by Hugo Weaving, along with him. Hannah, of course, is the Irishman. He's the expert. Um, he's, he's somebody that's done this stuff for a living. He's an inspector who's in trouble and he's going to help the young guy. So you get this, this rugged Irish dude helping this British foppish guy hunt down this other rugged Irish dude. They come to find out these Irish dudes have a connection. They serve together. Uh, one saved one's life. And it, it sets up these predictable beats, which is, oh, at one point you think they got Feeney, but then Hannah turns on them and, and things like this. And there's moments where you see some of the people suffering. Probably probably the most interesting character moment in the movie for me is, um, is a moment with um, one of the characters. He's like a, he's in, he's a private. He's, a, he's an Englishman. He's a private. He's in charge of their horses during this journey as they try to track down Feeney. And he witnesses outside of this Lord's estate at these gates, these starving people, right? And this guy has a shitload of grain. The harvest was good to him because he's not just relying on the potatoes, right? Which, of course, the Irish peasants were relying on. They have grain and uh, they're putting it on a boat. And they're taking it to London or to to to, to England or I, don't, I I think they say I, obviously I know London's in England but I don't know if they're putting it on a boat I guess and uh, he just wasn't having it and uh, I thought that was that was probably the most unpredictable conflict in the movie that made him almost the most human character in the movie maybe maybe the best character in the movie hit that in, in that moment, which is he has his guns on the estate guards. So on his fellow countrymen and it's this chaos, they're all eating inside delicious soup. Everyone's consuming yummy food, hearty bread with maids. And just outside the gates, these people are fucking starving. And this, this kid, he says, you know, drop, drop the guns. Uh, I'm not going to tell you again, open the gates, we're going to bring the fucking grain out to them, they're starving, look at these people, look, they're fucking starving, right, he wants to give them the grain, and um, there's this particular gruesome man, he's kind of the, the, you'd call him the main bad guy, he's kind of the guy, he's kind of the bastard, the boss, the bad guy boss with the mutton chops, I forget his name, and uh, he just shoots the kid, and you're like, oh fuck, and 
one of the guards gets shot and he just gets gunned down in that moment. And I, I like this. I mean, this this conflict, which is about an hour into the movie, it doesn't even involve Feeney. He's not even in the picture. So the movie's about Feeney, right? It's about Feeney and him getting justice for the bad things that have happened. Yet probably the finest character mom- moment in the film comes when this kid has this moment of doubt, which is look at all this grain, look at all these people, they're starving. Why don't we give some of the grain to the people who are starving so they're not starving anymore? I mean, they're dying, starving and dying. I already talked to you about the stats of the Great Famine, particularly in the year 47. A million deaths, right, across the time period, which is 1845 to 1849. A million. And we see it. That's one thing the movie does well. We do see how bad it is for people, which is awesome. And this kid is affected by it. And I like that. I like that he takes the gun out. And now you could say that his demise was a little bit fabricated. It was a little bit hurried. He's a private. He's young. You know, they they could have talked him down. In fact, Hannah yells this. He says, I was talking to him. When the guy kind of shoots him in the back. And it escalates rather quickly. And it just adds fuel to the rebellious fire here. But I do like this. I think it was a, an interesting, predictable character beat here. Um, And I liked it. I wanted to see a little bit more of this. I wanted to see a little bit maybe more of this from Pope. Um, I wanted to see more of, of, I I want to see more human behavior. Now, I understand that during this time period, there was great cruelty, there was great oppression, and the movie makes... it, it, the movie makes it very clear that this happened and it and these characters behave this way for a reason and that all makes sense to me absolutely i'm not saying everyone should be angels and everyone should be morally gray and everyone should be three-dimensional no i get it they're following orders they're doing their thing this is what people have done forever throughout history all of that makes sense to me i just feel like when you're doing a film you you some of these character beats may could have made a little bit more sense you know, instead of everybody outside of this private, every British person in this, every, excuse me, English person in this film is almost reprehensible. Almost totally reprehensible. I kind of feel like they were giving you a little bit on the Pope character because he is this young British officer tasked with finding a renegade. That's a tough position to be in if the renegade is quote-unquote the hero that the audience wants to be successful. So it's almost like you're setting Pope up for failure. But I feel like I feel like when a movie is almost trying to tell you how to feel, it's almost a little bit pedantic to me. When the movie's saying, well, here's the evil I here's the evil English boy, because he's just a young guy following orders. He's in the service. It's not his problem that there's a goddamn famine, right? He's just a British guy. He joined up in the military. He's gone up through the ranks. He's young, and now he's tasked with hunting down a renegade who's going across the country murdering people. And yes, he's murdering bad people. No one's going to argue with that. You you have this Pope character put in a position. And you. I feel like you really have to intellectually put yourself in those shoes to sympathize with the Pope character at all because the movie doesn't do that for you, right? Because it wants you to, for him to be bad, right? It wants, it doesn't, again, I guess what I'm trying to say in a nutshell is that 
the movie is setting up all of the English characters outside of this private to be villains that you don't care if they live or die. If Pope would have gotten killed at the end of this movie, you probably would have cheered or, or at least not cared. Um, and that's something that I think the movie doesn't quite benefit from, but you know, maybe I'm just sitting down trying to, I guess I'm maybe what I'm watching is not what they made. Clearly. I just think it might've, I think a little more subtlety here with even just the Pope character, like the Lord mutton chop man, you can make him evil. <laughs> right. There's this uh, great moment with him and Stephen Ray. And he's talking about, this must be the, the most beautiful girl in, in all of Ireland. And she's nothing compared to an English maiden. And he says, well, take that English maiden and starve her and stick her in a hovel and take her clothes and make her poor and make her cold and then see how pretty she is, right? It's, it's this, it's this age old, you know, classist argument, right? The, this, this lower person appears lower because they've been treated as a lower person. And these, this upper class person appears upper because they've been treated as an upper class person and there's really no genetics there's nothing there's nothing innate about that it's it's all environmental i guess is the cause is the little argument he's making and and i like that but it never really brings the evil mean lord around kill michael i guess is his name it never does that you you would hope that even though they have these conversations there's never really you never really go oh okay this this particular english person froze or or Maybe for a second thought, wow, this is fucked up. This is bad. And yeah, I guess I guess you could say they do it through the young private, but he's a very much a minor character who doesn't say much and he gets killed rather quickly. But um overall, man, it's it's cool. I definitely would suggest watching it. It's only in the 90-ish minutes. 90-ish minutes. There we go. I podcast. And um again, these runtimes are very favorable to me personally. I like shorter films. Ha <laughs> ha. So I would definitely say check it out. But um, yeah, man, I, I dug it. It's it's a solid film, and um, I'm really like I really liked it. And um, I guess I guess in my search for objectivity in these conflicts and for characters like this that are portraying people that had these historical positions in life, right? There was a young British officer in this time period. Uh, I I just. I've moved away from the all red coats are evil. Like I've moved away from Mel Gibson's Patriot, right? Which is every red coat is an evil, horrible piece of shit. <laughs> right? Every red coat's an evil, horrible piece of shit. And every, you know, colonial militiaman is is like the fucking paragon of virtue, right? Now you could argue about the conflict in general, but but that's just not the case with human when human beings are concerned. That's just not the way it goes. There's more subtlety in that. And, and maybe what I'm doing is I'm projecting my own desire to seek objectivity and critical thinking on these conflicts. Maybe I'm maybe I'm projecting my expectations onto a film that's not really interested in doing that, and thus allowing it to color my judgment of the film, which maybe just isn't fair to the film. So yeah, maybe that's maybe that's what's going on here. Maybe that's the conversation I'm having with myself out loud as I do this podcast. So yeah, I guess I guess you could mark it up as that because at the end of the day I'm going to recommend this movie. I'm going to tell you to definitely watch this movie. It's 100% worth it. Um I don't know if it's worth $7 to rent to be perfectly frank and I had to fucking rent it twice. Are you shitting me? Oh, that's so annoying. Cuz I had watched it and then I had to delay the podcast and I had to watch it again. But um, anyway, my troubles aside, I would say check it out. 
I would say on a scale of hated it, didn't like it, liked it, loved it, I would say I liked this movie quite a bit. Um, it's a short little fun movie that I would watch with friends again. This is one you could throw on for people. You haven't seen Black 47? It's pretty cool. Let's throw it on and check it out, man. I think you'll dig it. I think you'll dig uh, just a kind of a simple revenge film. It doesn't need to be more than that. I guess I should stop projecting my own desires for equilibrium and thinking of these conflicts objectively not to not put those upon this this movie, which is just concerned with telling a pretty simple tale in 90 minutes, right? So yeah, that's it. I like it. I like this movie. I would say check it out for sure. Now, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what we're covering next, and I'm going to be covering it pretty quick. I'm going to be trying to do it this weekend. And uh, what I want to do is this. I am going to do something a little bit different. You know, normally what I do is I'm, I'm covering movies that are newish, right? I, I don't think I'm going to do that this time. I think what I'm going to do this time is I'm going to cover a horror film because it is October. <laughs> so that said, I think next, actually, let me, let me actually grab the, um, I'm going to grab the preview, actually. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I'm just going to put on the preview and tell you guys that this is what we're going to be covering. So here, have a listen. What would you do if you accidentally discovered the house next door was occupied by something not human? Something horrifying. Something unspeakably evil. No one believes you. Mom, I didn't have a nightmare. Not your mom. They did kill a girl over there. Not your girlfriend. Charlie, is this some sort of a trick to get me back? Not even the police. Look, I know it's crazy. I know that, but look, Lieutenant! It knows that you know. You'll do anything to protect yourself. But it will do anything to protect its secret. being scared this could be the night of your life dude fright night you know i don't really need to watch the preview but ah, uh, this popped up i put a little i put a little post on facebook group on the lsg media film group facebook group and i just said hey man what should i cover i'm gonna do a an extra one within the next couple days for halloween and fright night came up and there's a couple likes on there. There's a lot of great suggestions on there. A lot of fucking movies I'd like to do. They, they were Some people said see the new Halloween, which is a good call. But um, I'm just not going to shoot off to the theater between now and Sunday. So I think I'm going to do Fright Night, dude. This movie, ah, I'm so excited to talk to you guys about this. I'll probably go on and on and on. This will be the first time I'm talking vampires on real quick, although I did talk about them. I believe we did three in a row in the Science Fiction Film Podcast. We did interview Bram Stokers and Near Dark. So um, Fright Night is near and dear to my heart. I've never actually watched that preview, so that was neat. And uh, I cannot wait to do this for you guys. So you better get ready. You better get your Jerry Dandridge ready. 
your uh, your uh, <laughs> Brewster ready and all the Fright Night fun that's going to follow. Fright Night's been on my mind a lot this month. Um, it's just one of those movies that I am, I am deeply fond of. So I'm looking forward to going back and watching it and then sharing all of my thoughts and memories of Fright Night with you guys. So this is uh, this will be a kind of a, a special occasion. We're going to do an old movie on the Real Quick Pod, and um, it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're doing it in the spirit of Halloween and the spirit of some nostalgia surrounding this flick. So looking forward to it. And uh, until then, you guys have a wonderful evening. We'll catch you guys on the flip side. I have a vivid memory of the first time. I was attending my niece's wedding and was at the sink in the men's room when a wet spot on the front of my trousers caught my eye. An unwelcome contribution from my bladder. Fortunately, I was wearing black and with my jacket buttoned, no one would be the wiser anyway, but for me, I knew it was time to see a urologist. Want to laugh during life's most embarrassing moments? LSG can help. Go to LibertyStreetGeek.net. Podcasters will give you a reason to wet yourself.